And last but not least, I am so excited. I am extremely honored to introduce our guest speaker this morning. Uh, Steve Mosden is coming all the way from Norwich, England. Um, he is an associate pastor at Soul Church. Pastor Jeff and myself met him last October when we went, went to Scotland. He and his wife, Rachel, are an amazing couple. I know you're going to be extremely blessed by his message. Um, they just have a tremendous heart for leadership and mentoring. And I had the privilege of taking Rachel's seven-week Find Your Voice course online, um, which is why I am now on stage in front of you guys now. Um, so thanks for that, whoever that was. Is that you, Jan? Okay, thanks, Jan. <laughs> um, so we are just incredibly blessed to have Pastor Steve Mosden. See, please welcome him. Thank you. Well, thank you, guys. Who's glad they're in church this morning? Come on, give me a wave. Who'd rather be in church than at the dentist? Give me a wave. More importantly, who's thankful for the Lord Jesus and for all that he's done? Come on, why don't we give thanks to him? Put our hands together. Honor him. He's the one who deserves it. And man, I love your, I love your state, Oklahoma. It is beautiful, isn't it? It's not like that place, Texas, down the road where I drove from. I was glad to get out of Texas and into Oklahoma. But it's hot in both. It's not like this in England, let me tell you. And uh, I'm blessed to be here. And, and, I, and I noticed a couple of things. There are churches everywhere in Oklahoma, aren't there? Everywhere you go, there are churches. But thank God for this nation. As Brits, we love your nation. We're glad for your leadership, for your strength, for your military. And we love the nation of the United States of America. And we're grateful for the ministries that have come out of this city and this state that have blessed the whole world. And so you guys are blessed. And it was my honor actually to meet with pastors Lisa and Jeff in Glasgow. And uh, I saw they have such a heart for you. They talk so lovingly and glowingly about you as a church. And it's not always easy being a pastor, is it? All right, leading, leading the sheep can be a challenging thing, but these guys love you. They're committed to you. So come on, why don't we put our hands together and thank God for faithful, loving, generous pastors. And just a couple of weeks ago, I got to meet Asia. She came to our church in Norwich, so it was great to meet her, along with Pastor Dave Brackenridge. Do you remember him from Scotland? Could you understand him? Who thinks I'm easier to understand than Dave? Well, uh, that is a relief because I can't even understand him. But it's so good to be with you. So big shout out to Dave and Asia when you're watching. But come on, why don't, we, why don't we stand to pray? If you're able. Because you know what? This is God's church. This is His word. And you are His people. And so whatever you're going through right now, in your family, in your marriage, in your business, I'm not able to meet any of your needs. But who's grateful God is? And he's here today. He's here to meet with you in this section, in this section, in this section. And all the diamonds over here. So come on, let's pray. Jesus, this is your house. 
And this is your word. We ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. You'd have your way in this service. You'd minister to your people. You'd encourage us and challenge us. Jesus, we want to be more like you. And we acknowledge our need of you today. So we give this service to you. In Jesus' name. And everyone with a bit of faith said, Amen. Amen. You can take your seats. Question. What is standing between you and the future that God has for you? What is standing between the promises God has given you and where you are right now? There's a great story in the Bible that many of you will know in 1 Samuel 17. And there's one thing that stands between Israel and the land that God has given her. And it's a nine-foot giant called Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 10 to 11, Goliath steps up and says this to Israel. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Two nations are gathered. And Goliath announces something called representative combat. One man from each nation to fight together. And the rules are really simple. If I win, you win. If I lose, you lose. Your whole nation loses. That was called representative combat. One man. Give me a man that we may fight together. Then it goes on and says, When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. How does Goliath induce such fear and anxiety? Is it anything he does? Does he give a display of his strength? No, he doesn't. It says that when they heard these words, how many know words can be powerful? Words can diminish you and limit you. My, my dad, when he was very young, he graduated from primary school. Can anyone remember their primary school graduation? We lived in the northeast of England. It's kind of like the armpit of England. It's the poor part. And uh, we lived in a little vi- village and there was about 10 kids in the village school. And when it came to graduation day, the headmaster, who wasn't a very nice guy, he lined up all the kids. The last service of the school, he was about to kick them out of the school forever. He lined them up and he went a- across all of those little kids saying kind and positive words. But when it came to my dad, he said one sentence. Would you like to know what the sentence was? All right, I'll give it to you. He said this. He looked him in the eye and he said, Morstan, you will bring untold misery on your family. And then he walked on. That's all he said. 
a little 10-year-old boy. How many know that's the ministry of discouragement right there? How many have met someone with that ministry in your life? But Goliath doesn't just speak publicly. Goliath speaks over your life when you go to sleep at night. He whispers into your soul. He tells you you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. He tells you you're not going to make it. And so often the tape begins to play. It tells you you're a failure. You'll never amount to anything. How many of you have heard Goliath's voice? Goliath speaks over and over. In fact, it says in the Bible that Goliath stepped forward for 40 days and morning and night. 40 days he challenges, who's going to fight me? 80 times he speaks. There was one man that should have got up that should have faced Goliath. The Bible says he stood head and shoulders over everyone in Israel. His name was Saul. He was the king and the commander-in-chief, and he should have stepped onto that battle. Saul was a giant on the outside, but he was a pygmy on the inside. And so So Saul never steps up. I wonder, friend, whether there's been situations in your life where God invited you to step up. But because of fear and anxiety, you step back. I do some coaching, and I was coaching this guy in Scotland, and his name was Ian, and he'd been a believer for 40 years. Trusted God, loved God. But he was struggling with finding his purpose. So he asked me to, to coach him and We didn't get very far until one day I asked him this question. I said, what would you do if you didn't lack the confidence to do it? And that question opened things up. He said, well, I love young people and I'd love to mentor young leaders. I said, well, why don't you do it? And he was capable. He'd had 40 years of the word on the inside. He was great with people. But the enemy had told him he wasn't good enough. No one would listen to him. I wonder what, friend, what would you do if you didn't have the, lack the confidence to do it? If you really trusted God and were willing to step up, what would God call you to do? So, I've painted the scene of Goliath Goliath, and I need to take you now to another scene. And there's a father and he's got his teenage son And he knows there's a battle going on and all of his brothers are at the battle. So this father turns to this little son and he says, hey, I want you to take this. He gives him some bread and some cheese to take to the battle. In other words, he's a pizza delivery boy. Bread and cheese. He says, you go and run along, son, and you deliver the dominoes to the boys at the battlefront. So David takes these pizzas. And then when he arrives at the scene, he sees this big guy stepping up. And David, he's not afraid because he's faced the lion and the bear. And look at what little David, a pizza delivery boy, says to a nine foot six giant. Are you ready? Verse 46. He says, this day... 
The Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you. And are you ready for this? I'll take your head from you. I'll take your head from you. The title of this message is, It's Time to Cut It Off. Let me say that again. It's time to cut it off. Now I've got to admit, there's a part of me that when I read this story for the first time, here's little David and big Goliath. And David said, I'm going to cut you. I'm thinking... Settle down, David. He's big. Go easy, my friend. But how many know David isn't focused on the size of his enemy? David is focused on the size of his God. On the size of his God. You don't have to be big to be great. You can be small to be great. And one small act of service catapults him onto a stage that is so wide. How can somebody so little go after something so big? Some of you young people, you're turning up at church, putting out chairs, serving and helping. Young people, you don't realize you are in the boot camp of significance. These small acts of service are preparing you for a great destiny. Sometimes God gives you a big vision when you're in a small church. And whenever God is about to elevate you, He places a Goliath in front of you. Let me say that again. When God is about to elevate you, He places a Goliath in front of you. Friend, until you face your Goliath, you will not find your throne. Remember this, if God allows a Goliath to stand in front of you, it's because he placed a David inside of you. When the giant Goliath sees the smallness of David, he sniggers and he laughs. He says, is that all you've got? But that small little boy takes a small stone. Because it's amazing what God can do with small things from small churches. The Bible says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. You might have grown up in a small town, lacking confidence, but despite your limitations, God can do exceedingly and abundantly and above anything that you can ask or think. It says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So a small boy with a small stone destroys a huge enemy. He throws that stone, it hits him in the forehead, and he falls dead to the ground. Now look at this. What's the first thing that David does when Goliath dies? Are you ready for this? Are you still with me? Home church, Oklahoma. 
It says David ran over and he stood over the Philistine. He took his sword and he drew it out of his sheath and he cut off his head with it. We're in a hunting place, aren't we, where people love to cut things up in Oklahoma. But he cut his head off. He did what he said he would do. So I'm going to cut your head off. It's time to cut some things off in your life. It's time to cut off some voices. And I picture David bending down and picking up the severed head of Goliath and getting out his phone and uploading it to TikTok and saying, Goliath, where are your words now? He was a teenager. He loved TikTok. Some of you need to cut off some of the lies that the enemy has been speaking over your life, speaking over your future. It's time to cut it off. But all of this was just the backstory to where I want to take you this morning. Because now this message is about to warm up. Are you ready for this? Here we go. It says in verse 54. You may have read this story a hundred times, but I wonder whether you've seen this one. It says, David took the head of the Philistine and he brought it to Jerusalem. Have you ever noticed that in this story? He took the severed head of Goliath and he places it in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not yet an Israelite city. In fact, it never has been. At this point in history, if you know your Bible, you'll know that it was ruled by a people called the Jebusites, and the city was known as Jebus. It was a tough city to attack because it was perched on a hill, and on three sides there are steep valleys. And so whoever ruled in that city, it was an easy city to defend. But if you look back through the history of Israel, if you will go a little Indiana Jones with me, are you ready? Who's ready to be Indiana Jones? Let's go back and look at some of the things that the Bible says about this place where the Jebusites live. All right. So let's go back to Abraham. First book of the Bible, Genesis 15, verse 18 to 20, says this. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, I mean, this is Abraham. How many know he was a good man? He was a man of faith. He knew how to stand on God's word. It says, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Then it says the Kenites, Kenazites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaimites, Texasites, Amorites, did you miss? Did you get that? <laughs> Canaanites, Girgashites, and lastly, Jebusites. That's in Genesis 15. That's the first book of the Bible. I'm going to give you the Jebusites. Question Did Abraham overcome the Jebusites? No, he didn't. So let's look at the next book of the Bible Exodus. Moses. How many know Moses was another good man? And in Exodus 33, 2, God says, I'll send my angel before you. I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites. Abraham. Moses. Did Moses 
drive out the Jebusites. Now let's go to Joshua. I mean the commander of God's armies. Joshua 3, 9 to 10. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the word of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you. He will without fail drive them out before you, the Canaanites, Hittites, Hibites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. Abraham, Moses, and now Joshua. Look at Joshua 15, 63. It says, as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Israel could not drive them out. Abraham couldn't. Moses couldn't. Even Joshua couldn't. Incredible men of God. Friend, I wonder what is your Jebusite? What is that one area of life where you've struggled, where you've fought, where you've prayed, where you've believed, where you've cried unto God and said, God, why don't you? No matter what you've done, you feel as if you couldn't drive them out. What is it that God has promised you, but you have yet to possess? In what area of life have you failed to overcome? What habit or addiction have you failed to break? What family member seems so far away and your heart breaks? Who are your Jebusites listening online? What is your Jebus, the city that you failed to possess? And so for David, little David, a pizza delivery boy, it's one thing to take off Goliath's head. That's a miracle. But for him to say, hey, one day, we're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to go where we've never been. We're going to possess what we've never possessed. It's not just an act of faith. It's a prophetic act. One day we're going to take that city. Do what God has promised us for all of these years. You see, once you've cut off Goliath's head, once you've stopped allowing his words to frame you and diminish you and limit you and tell you all the things you're not. Once you take off his head and say, I'm done with your lies. I'm done with your defeatism. I'm done with your negativity. Only then can you start to step into the future that God has for you. Only then can you start to see that in Christ Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Come on, if you're going to clap him, I think we really should clap him. When David places Goliath's head in Jerusalem, he's probably around 18 years of age. But it takes 12 years. It's not until he's 30 years of age that he will possess his Jerusalem. Sometimes things take time. Some of you have been believing God for a week. That week turned into a month. That month turned into a year. It turned into a decade. And still you're saying, God, why can't I drive out these Jebusites? But friend, don't be discouraged. He's with you every step of the way. 
He's with you in the middle of the battle. He's with you in the middle of the storm. Even if a hurricane comes through, you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. He is able. God is already standing in your future. God is standing in your future and he's, he's willing you on. He is cheering you on. He knows the plans he has for you and for your family. He's already there in your Jerusalem. Still speaking promise. Still giving you his word. Still encouraging you throughout the battle. How have you allowed the Jebusites to limit your future? What jobs have you not had the courage to apply for? What ministries did you, did you dare not step into? What businesses have you yet to have the courage to start? What dreams have you failed to action? Because Goliath's lies and the Jebusites' words have been speaking of you. 2 Samuel 5 and Verse 6, we read that David is now the king over Israel. He unites, after a long journey, he unites the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And they become one nation. And he thinks, he says, now this is the time. Twelve years ago, I placed Goliath's head in Jerusalem. For twelve years, I've been wanting to go in this direction. But now that the whole nation is behind him, how many know there's a power in unity? There's a power when the church comes together. That's why the enemy will do everything he can to divide you and discourage you and diminish you. Where there's unity, God commands the blessing and David unites the nation. What's the very first thing that he does? 2 Samuel 5 verse 6 says, King David and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. And they spoke to David saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. Such was their arrogance. They thought there's no way anybody can break in to our city. Even the an army of blind and lame people could stop you. But the next verse says, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. Nevertheless, friend, when God is with you, you are nevertheless. Because if God before you, who can be against you? You are more than a conqueror in Him. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy, to Goliath's lies to the Jebusites' lies that tells you you're too young, you're too old, you're not good enough, you're not educated enough. It's time to cut it off. Go where God has called you to go. Do what God has called you to do. And in 2 Samuel 5 verse 9 it says, David dwelt in the stronghold. There are some of you here in this room and there has been a stronghold. There's been an aspect of your life where the devil has had a stronghold and you couldn't possess it. But I've got good news for you. You are going to dwell in that stronghold. You are going to drive out those enemies because God is with you. 
David dwelt in the stronghold and he called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inwards. So David went on and became great. How did he become great? Because the Lord God of hosts was with him. He's the Lord God of an army of hosts. And he's with you and he's for you, friend. You're going to dwell in that stronghold. You're going to rename that city. You're going to possess that territory. Remember I told you about my dad? They said you'll bring untold misery on your family. It's Father's Day last week. Father's Day isn't always an easy day for people, is it? But it got me thinking, because it was Father's Day in England as well as here. And I was thinking about my dad. My dad grew up and he married and he had three amazing children, especially the one in the middle, just a joke. It's an English, English sense of humor. Where's all the middle children? Look at you, anointed and powerful. There you go. Come on, give it up for the middle children, the ones who hold it all together. Sorry. Just having a bit of fun. But my dad grew up and he had three children. And he was, I guess, around 30 years of age. And he was doing well. He was a farmer. He owned a good business and had a good, good solid marriage. But he felt there was something missing. Maybe you're here and you're new to church. Or you're away from God and deep down you know something missing in your life. My dad knew there was something missing. And so he tried to fill this gap in his heart with religion. He tried many different religions. He, he joined a the spiritualist society started praying to the dead and weird things started happening in our family and he decided to get out. He joined a commune. My mom didn't like that because she had to do all the washing. He joined the self-realization fellowship and he would meditate. And one night he was meditating in the front room in his undies and the room filled with light and he thought, this is it, it's Nirvana, but it wasn't. It was my mom driving up the drive and the headlights filled the room. Then one day he walked into a little Pentecostal church, tiny little church, about this big. They were worshiping Jesus. They were passionate. And at first he thought they were crazy. And him and his mate sat at the back and were laughing at these believers. And at the end of the service, a little old lady with a withered hand named Celia, she couldn't lift her hand, she would swing it in worship and she got up like a couple of these people did and gave a prophetic word and as she spoke she literally began to outline the blueprint of my father's life and that got my dad's attention he's like maybe God you're real he went home and a couple of days later lying in bed with my mom and the phone rang it was the hospital my little brother two years younger was in hospital David and the hospital called, said, it's viral meningitis. Your son is very sick. We think he's got 24 hours to live. You'd better come into the hospital to say your goodbyes. My mom was a nurse. She went into the bathroom to collect her stuff. She's crying. She was hysterical, as all you moms would understand. My dad lay in the bed, Lowfield Farm, Rishi Ford. He said, okay, God, if you're real, 
I'm asking you, would you heal my son? In that exact moment, he said the Lord Jesus himself came and appeared in that room. Literally sat on the end of my dad's bed. He said, I'm going to heal your son. After 24 hours, my little brother was still alive. The doctors took him aside. They said he's going to He's had a serious brain injury. He's going to grow up deaf or dumb or blind. He's just not going to be the same little boy. Well, the good news is today my brother is 51 years of age. He runs an IT company. He's completely healed. How many are glad that Jesus is able to heal? It's annoying because he's better at golf than me. But anyway, I'm glad God healed him. But I watched my dad. He'd had an encounter with Jesus. He was never the same again. And I think the team are going to come as I wind this down. And my dad loved Jesus. And he would do anything he can to tell people about Jesus. He was a man of God. Every morning when I got up, without fail, I would see him reading the Word of God. He would read it for two or three hours every single morning. He lived it out. He had the fruit of the Spirit. He never shouted at me, never raised his hand at me. He loved all of our kids. But he was desperate to see us come to Christ. He'd had such an experience. But to be honest, the rest of the family weren't interested We'd been dragged to church as kids. It was boring. It was formal. It was cold. We didn't want to go to church. My dad would go to Bible study. My mom would turn on the horror movies at home. We were living different lives. We wouldn't go to church, so my dad bought church to us. Literally in our farm, in the barns, they would have church services. And my brother and I, we would sit up and the straw bale was on the top. We didn't understand this kind of church. They were dancing and raising their hands. I thought, what on earth is all that raising hands? If you need the, do you do that if you need the toilet? One for permission, two if you're desperate. We didn't have a clue. And to my shame, my brother and I, we would look down at these people worshiping Jesus and we would throw things and spit at them. We were so far away from God. And maybe some of you are in situations where you so want your family to come to Christ. My dad would have done anything. He got so discouraged. He tried everything, but we didn't want to know. Maybe you're in that position with your family, or your business, or your marriage. My dad got really desperate, and he, he was discouraged, and he went to a senior pastor's wife and said, what do I do about my family? They're not interested. And they said, why don't you take them to a youth camp? So my dad showed me this little invite and it had sport and pretty girls. And I was 13. It said barbecues. And I love barbecue. I love Texan barbecue and Oklahoma barbecue. And I thought, if there's girls and sport, I'm going. But when I got there, I realized... It was a Christian camp. And I watched in these tent services as the presence of God would come down and teenagers would worship Jesus. 
And I thought, they're not putting that on. That's real. And it was a Tuesday night in May, 40 years ago last month. I was sat right at the back. The guy says, if you're not right with God, put up your hand and give your life to Jesus. I sat at the back and I raised my hand, started to cry. My brother sat next to me. He did the same thing at the same time. In the other side of the tent, my sister did. All three of us came to Christ in one night. My dad had believed God for 10 years and in one moment, we all came to Christ. My mom saw such a transformation in us that within one month, she too came to Christ. She too came to Christ. Some of you, you know where your Jerusalem is. God has given you promises. Sometimes you feel so discouraged. Don't give up. Don't listen to Goliath's lies. You could be one day from your miracle in your family. You know, I talked about earlier when Goliath and David met each other. Remember I said it was called representative combat just takes one man and if he wins we win I haven't got this scripture on the screen but I've got it in Romans 5 17 it says for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Through one man, Jesus Christ. And one man stepped into the arena. And he won a great victory. And here's the rules of the game. If he wins, we win. Who's glad that he won? He won a great victory on our behalf. Doesn't matter what's going on around you. We win. Because he won. We win. I know your pastor loves Winston Churchill. So I promised him I'd tell this simple story. Do we have any other military people? We love you guys. Grateful for you. The Second World War wasn't looking good in England. In 1940, Hitler had advanced all the way through France and He was just destroying nation after nation. Holland, Belgium, they were all falling like a pack of cards. It was just a question of time till he marched into England and Great Britain. And so Winston Churchill had been called upon to lead our nation, the British Bulldog. And each week he would meet with King George to give him a report an update on the progress of the war. And each week he'd walk into Buckingham Palace, discouraged, feeling defeated. It was more bad news. It seemed more and more certain that Hitler was about to invade Britain. But then one day, in an Egyptian desert, a man by the name of Montgomery locked horns with Rommel. And Montgomery won. 
And this was to prove the decisive, the turning point in the war. And the dispatch came through to Winston Churchill. And he carried his little dispatch box. And he went into Buckingham Palace to the king himself. This time he wasn't discouraged. He wasn't defeated. His chest was back and his head was up. And he walked straight into the king. And he said these words, Sir, I give you victory. Sir, I give you victory. God has sent me from Norwich, England, all the way to Oklahoma to give you some good news. Sir, madam, I give you victory. Jesus has already won. It doesn't matter how the battle is raging. One man, his win is your win. All we have to do participate in the victory that he has already won why don't we all stand together stand together this is a day of good news you may have walked in discouraged but I want you to walk out with your head held high representative combat if he wins we win he's already won friend he's won I want to talk to anybody. You need prayer for your family. You know, right now, this moment, 25th of July, 2023, my mom needs prayer. Three days ago, I got a call. I'm here in America. My mom has lost the feeling in her leg. She's paralyzed. She's in a hospital. CAT scans, MRI. She needs a miracle. I need a miracle in my family. What about you? Come on, if you need a miracle in your family, I'd like you to raise your hand. I would love to pray. Maybe it's a lost loved one that's far from God. Maybe Goliath is saying, you're never going to see a breakthrough. But listen, in this moment, if he wins, we win. So let me pray over you. Jesus, right now, over every person with their hands raised, Lord, we lift up before your throne of grace every family member. My mom, Lord, we lift her to you. Lord, every, every parent, every child, every lost one, every loved one. We can't do it, Lord. But we want to thank you that you won so that we can win. It's by your stripes they are healed. It's your love, Lord, that's going to draw them back. So Lord, would you touch every loved one right now? Right now, Jesus' name, we give them to you. We cut off the lies of the enemy. And we trust you. We trust you with them. Lord, I want, to, I want to pray over this church. Because this week as I prepared this message, I really felt in my heart to pray for families. And I've just prayed for your family, but I also felt for this church family. The enemy's always trying to bring disunity and discouragement but there is such a power in unity when you stand together when you love each other there's a great Jerusalem ahead for you but you've got to be together you've got great pastors that love you get around them serve them but I want to pray over this church for a moment Lord Jesus this is home church this is your home you belong here Every one of these people is your children. And I pray for such a spirit of unity in home church. 
that you would do something today. You would bind this church together to the vision that you've called them to. That as a united army, they would march knowing that you have already given them their Jerusalem. You have already prepared a great future for them. And it's not in our strength, but it's in your strength. So anoint pastors Lisa and Jeff to lead to lead with the authority that you've given them into the future you have for them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lisa and Jeff, when when David stepped up and went into battle, here's what they tried to do. They tried to put Saul's armor on David. Saul's armor don't fit David. You be you. You be you be who God has called you to be he's put it in your hearts he's put a David there's a softness there's a a humility in your hearts that God can use he uses small things to do great things and he sees that humility and that's what he's looking for don't worry about the big churches all around you be the people God has called you to be take off Saul's armor be David in Jesus name in Jesus name Some of you, you've stepped back when you should have stepped up. God has called you. God has called you. There's still things in your future that God hasn't done yet. I was amazed when I was in the foyer. I talked to missionaries and people who came here to to serve the great ministries of this area. But listen, God hasn't finished yet. It's not the call of God. It's the callings of God. My master supervisor had a PhD in the book of Revelation. And I was talking to him about the call of God and he corrected me. He said, Steve, never talk about the call of God. He said, talk about the callings of God. You see, Paul was called where? Where did Paul meet Jesus? The book of Acts. He met him on the Damascus roll. That's where he was called. Is that right? But later on, He was called into Macedonia, the Macedonian call. God is always calling you. And His calling is always relevant to your season. Always relevant to your season. God didn't call Moses till he was 80. Don't tell yourself you're too old. If you've got gray hairs, it's to the glory and honor of God that you can raise a new generation that's going to emerge in this church. It's not over yet, you're not too old. Callings of God are irrevocable. There's still a Jerusalem for many of you. It's not a time to step back. This is a time to step up and say, God, I'm I'm here, I'm yours. That beautiful song that you sang earlier about, God, I'm, I'm, I'm yours. But before I hand back to the team, we're gonna sing a worship song. It's one more group of people I would love to pray for. And that's for anyone listening to me online or in any of these sections. And friend, you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus. You've never walked with Him. You've never had a true, authentic relationship with Jesus. And you say, Steve, how do I get to know Jesus? It's really simple. You invite Him in. You pray a prayer. You say, Jesus, would you come into my life? And here's what he'll do. 
He will forgive you of all your past and all your mistakes and all your sin because He's incredible. And then He'll give you a great meaning and purpose for today. But ultimately, He'll give you an eternal home in heaven where you'll live with Him forever. And you can receive that by accepting Jesus to come into your life. Maybe you're in this room and you once walked with God. But if you're really honest, you've grown cold. You've drifted away. Friend, I'd love to encourage you. He still loves you. His arms are still open wide. And he still will forgive you and give you that brand new start. So friend, I would love to pray with anyone. You say, Steve, I need to get right with God. It's either for the first time or today you're coming home. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes. It's a private moment between you and God. If you say, Steve, would you pray for me? I know I need to get right with God. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, if you need to get right with God, then all you need to do is just slip up your hand high enough and long enough for me to see it, and then you can slip it back down. So all across this room, if you need to get right with God, when I count to three, you raise your hand. Are you ready? God loves you, friend. This is your moment. You ready? One, two, three. That's it. Just slip it up. If you want to get right with God, slip it up. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Anyone else? I love that. Thank you so much. Why don't you all repeat this powerful, life-changing prayer after me? Repeat it after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. You came to forgive me and cleanse me. To give me a new start and to live for you with your help and strength from this day on. So please come into my life in Jesus' name.